Lord, you'd open the eyes to the truth of who you are. Father, for those of us who do know you already, I pray you would encourage us, exhort us, rebuke us if necessary, draw us unto yourself. May we not be satisfied with a lukewarm walk, but Lord, may you light a fire in our hearts for you. Lord, we ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right. Well, turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. We're continuing our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. Let me encourage you to come out on Wednesday night. We'll be in Genesis chapter 36, uh, 37. Who knows? Somebody paying attention. 37, that's right. Okay. Can't remember how far I taught. All right. Well, by way of brief introduction, this is a letter written by the Apostle John. He's one of the three within the inner circle that Jesus had within the apostles, Peter, James, and John. He's one of the sons of thunder. He's also referred to the, as the, the apostle that Jesus loved. He spent more time with Jesus than maybe any other person on the planet outside of his immediate family. He saw him perform miracles. He was with him when he went away to pray. He saw him on the Mount of Transfiguration. At the Last Supper, his head was laying on the chest of our Savior. He was there at the cross when all the other apostles had fled. And then even the Lord himself looked down from the cross and spoke to John and said, I want you from this moment forward to take care of my mom. He said, behold your mother, behold your son. So John had a very, you know, incredibly intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And as he writes this letter, he's writing it some 40 to 50 years later. Now corruption has come into the church. False teachers have come in and began to attack the central truth of the gospel began to add to it. Most specifically were the Gnostics. The Gnostics were those who believed they had special divine knowledge that nobody else had. And you had to come to them. The word for Gnostic means knowledge. That's why agnostic means without knowledge, right? But here's the point. They said, you know, we have this special knowledge and you must come to us to receive it. But when they shared this knowledge, it directly contradicted the word of God. Some of the things that they taught and believed were that The flesh was evil and only the spirit was good. So if you believe in God and if you confess Jesus Christ in your spirit, it doesn't matter how you live in your flesh. You can confess the Lord and compartmentalize your life over here and be going to heaven because you've confessed him. And because your flesh is evil and wicked and going to be destroyed anyway, just live like the devil all week. It doesn't really matter. And as we're going to see this morning's text, and we saw last week as well, that the word of God directly contradicts that. The guys, the word of God tells us, Jesus said, be holy for I am holy. Amen. He's called us to live obedient, set apart lives to the word of God. So last week we looked at a brief scene in two verses, kind of gave an analogy of a court scene. And I pray that if you weren't here, you'd grab a hold of the CD. They're always free. They always will be. And let me encourage you. It's a great text for anybody who does not know the Lord to listen to. But we saw in that brief text that all of us are sinners. If anyone sins, and all of us have, amen? We saw last week, we talked about it. We all raised our hands. We're all sinners in desperate need of a Savior. And then we saw that we're standing before a perfect holy judge, and as sinners, we cannot enter into heaven. He's holy, he's perfect, he's God, we're not. And you know what? We've got a problem because if he had one sin in heaven, he'd have earth part two. But we saw two descriptions of our Savior in those two verses. Two roles that he held in that courtroom. Because God the Father is the divine judge. And we're sitting at the table. We're the ones who are guilty. We're the defendant. But praise God, we have a divine defense attorney. And his name is Jesus Christ and he's never lost a case. Amen? 
And he stands up for us. And you know what? Unlike all other defense attorneys, he doesn't try to pretend like we're innocent. He doesn't proclaim our innocence. Actually, what he does is he points out our guilt. He makes it very clear that we are guilty. But you know what? As the judgment is about to come down, he's not only our defense attorney, but he's the one that pays our debt. He's the surrogate, if you will. He's the, you know, the scapegoat. And so what would happen is as the judgment is about to take place, Jesus would step up and say, you know, the, the fine comes down, it's a hundred billion dollars, and we've got a dollar fifty to our name. We're not even close to being able to pay the debt. And as we're about to be carted away, where we're about to receive the righteous judgment for our sinful behavior, which is eternal separation, the wrath of Almighty God coming down upon us, Jesus Christ steps up, holds in his hands, and says, it's okay, he's with me, she's with me, debt paid in full, amen? And that's the picture we saw in verses 1 and 2 of this chapter. And I want to say this, it's awesome when you look at the pictures of Jesus Christ throughout Scripture, that indeed, when they made sacrifice, there was one of the sacrifices that they made where they would bring in two goats, and they would kill one, and they would confess the sins of of Israel over the other. And then they would send the goat out, and it would run as far away, and they would literally post people uh, at different places as it was running along, and they would send it out to the west. And what's interesting is as the goat would go by, they would yell back that it's, it's, it's getting further and further away. And isn't it interesting that the Word of God tells us that our sin has been separated as far as the east is from the west, amen? It's been removed, it's been taken away, and praise God. And so that's what we looked at last week in the first two verses, and now we're going to pick up in how we are to respond to this truth, that we were sinners in desperate need of a Savior if we have believed in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, we have been saved to the glory of the Father. But as we're going to see this morning, there's fruit of true salvation. There's proof. It's not just belief in my head, but it's a transformation in my heart. Amen? It's more than just a belief that there is a God. It's having intimate fellowship with God through the person of the Holy Spirit who comes and lives inside of us. So, if you are a note taker this morning... Let me encourage you to, it's really brief. I titled the message, Do You Know Him? And true Christian faith, again, is far more than knowing about him, but it's knowing him in an intimate and a deep way, walking in fellowship with him. So if we are to truly know him, these are the two things we're going to look at in this morning's portion of scripture. Number one, if we truly know him, we will obey him. If we know him, we will obey him. Uh Uh-oh, I'm in trouble. I didn't obey him this week. How many disobeyed God this week? Raise your hand. Hands on up, lying right now, disobeyed him again. Amen? We'll talk about this though. Talk about how our heart has changed, how we see obeying God, and how we view our own sin. And we'll have a heart to obey him. But not only will we obey him, but we will abide in him. And this is the portion where we're going to look at having intimate fellowship with Almighty God. So do you know him? If you truly know him, first of all, we will obey him. So let's begin looking at verse 3. It says there, Now by this we know that we know him. Now by this, this is a transitional word in scripture, a transitional phrase, as John is now introducing a new set of facts or a new test. A test that needs to be taken because it's, look, here's how your sin is paid for, but how do you know if you've really been forgiven? 
And I want to say this. I hear this a lot from people who profess to be Christians. Often, they wonder if they're really saved. They question their own salvation. I've had people that have come forward and asked to you know, pray the sinner's prayer every week for a year, it seems like, sometimes. And they keep coming. Why? Because there's an element of doubt. There's an element of question. There's an element of wonder. Well, I want you to see a key word here. It says, by this, what does it say? We know that we know him. Guys, we don't hope, we don't think, we don't wish, we don't want, we know. Amen? Christianity is not a hope so, it's a know so. We can know for sure that by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we're going to heaven. Not because we're good, but because he's great. Amen? Not because we fulfilled all the righteousness, no, but we've been made righteous in him. And he says, by this, and we're going to talk about what that this is in a moment, we know that we know him. Now, he's not going to lay out tasks for how to earn salvation, but tests to verify if you've already been saved. Don't write down things this morning and say, oh, these are the things I've got to do to be saved. These are not steps to salvation. They are fruits of salvation. Guys, we don't earn it. You can't add to it. There's no, you know, oh, if I just act a little better, then I'll be acceptable to God. Let me just explain something to you and remind me. We're all sinners in desperate need of a Savior, and I can't do enough good deeds to overcome one of my sins, let alone the millions of times I've sinned in my lifetime. Amen? So it's not finding a path, and again, sadly, this is kind of the stuff the Gnostics were teaching. It was a different gospel, and John is writing this letter to remind them again of what it means to really know Jesus Christ. The word know there in Greek is gnosko. It means to know by experience. We know him not in theory. We know him, you know, not just historically. It's not just a story we read. You know, it's interesting. I used to use this analogy in youth group years ago. And, you know, I could just pick any famous figure. I'll pick, you know, Michael Jordan, basketball player, right? I can tell you that he went to North Carolina. I can tell you he won six championships. I can tell you he wore number 23. I can tell you he played for the Chicago Bulls. I can tell you a lot about him, and I know a lot about Michael Jordan. But if I got in an elevator with Michael Jordan, he'd have no idea who I am. And there are people that know a lot about Jesus Christ. They can tell you how he lived, that he was born of a virgin. They can tell you that he was born in Bethlehem. They can tell you that, you know, he lived a sinless life. They can tell you that he ministered for three years and he performed miracles. They can tell you that he's the son of God. They can tell you verses about him in scripture. They can tell you that he did go to the cross, that on the third day he rose, that on the third day he rose from the dead. They can even tell you that he's coming back. But guys, it's got to be more than knowing about him, but knowing him by experience. Amen? So my question to you this morning, not do you know about him, but do you know him? Because if you know him, your life's going to be radically different. Amen? You can't come to know Jesus Christ and be the same anymore. You can't, you know, a lot of times we look back and we think we know him based on some experience that we had. And guys, amen, we have an experience. I did at four and a half years old. I prayed the sinner's prayer in Mrs. Green's class at the First Baptist Church of Wilmington. But you know what? I don't look back at, at, at that moment as proof of my salvation. I look at what the Lord has done in my life every day since as proof of my salvation. Amen? Guys, if you're here this morning, 
and you walked an aisle and you prayed a prayer or you bowed by your bed or you prayed with a friend or whatever it might have been, you should be able to look back and see that your life has been radically different every day since. Doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean you don't make mistakes. And that's a bad word, mistakes. You sin, amen? But the good news is that salvation is a transforming work of the Holy Spirit to take what you and I, who were dead in our trespasses and sins, and make us new creations in Christ, amen? So here's the word of exhortation. This is how we know. How do we know that we know him? How do we know that we know him? How do I have assurance that I really know him, not just know about him? You know, it's been said that people are going to miss heaven by 18 inches. Many. They'll have knowledge in their head, but no transformation in their heart. They know about God, but they've never come to know God. And guys, my burden this morning, as I was praying last night, as I was studying, was, Lord, if there's anybody here that's in that camp, anybody maybe been coming to church for years, maybe knows a lot about the Lord, can quote scripture, but Lord has never come to know you again, today would be the day of salvation. That that knowledge would make an 18-inch trip from our head to our heart, amen? So how do we know that we know him? And the word there, the way it's written, the verb is in the present tense. It means to continually perceive something. How do I know that I am knowing him right now? What is the proof that I've been born again, that I truly know him? By this, we have firsthand experience that assures us that we really know him. By this, we know that we know him. Here's what it says. If we keep his commandments... Uh Uh-oh, I thought I was going to say if I believe. Belief impacts behavior, amen? I've heard me say that many times. If we know him, we will keep his commandments. Now remember the Gnostics, as I said before, were teaching, hey, if you just believe, it doesn't matter how you live. As long as you believe in him, you don't need to keep any commandments. Guys, we should never cheapen God's grace. Amen? Guys, it's by grace we've been saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's grace, it's faith that saves us. It's the faith in God, it's the grace of God that brings us to salvation. But the fruit of salvation is a transformed life. And we know from 1 Samuel 15, 22, it says this, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Guys, the highest form of worship is not religion, it's obedience to the word of God. If God could have anything from you, you know what he would want? You to obey him. And we're gonna talk about why he wants us to obey him in a moment. We obey him as an act of love. It says in the word of God, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. How do we show him that we love him? We obey him. How do we show that we believe what he says? We obey his word. But sadly today, too many of us, myself included, there are times, what do we do? We make excuses for our sin. We try to live in a morally, you know, relative world where we compare ourselves to somebody else. Guys, the only authority for your life is the Word of God and the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Amen? You know what's interesting? The word commandment there in Greek, one of the meanings is it's the authoritative prescription. I like that. 
These commandments are God's authoritative prescription for how we're supposed to live. People say, man, I want to know the meaning of life. I'm trying to figure out where I should be headed in life. Open up the Bible and God will give you a roadmap to living a life that will be fruitful and abundant. Amen? The problem is that too often we're looking for something other than what the Word of God says. God's Word, His authoritative prescription for life and life more abundant. By this we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. The word keep there, I like this word. It means to attend to carefully, to take care of, to guard, to observe. Have you ever thought about that with the commandments of God? I'm going to guard this. Too often, instead of guarding it and taking care of it and being mindful of it, we're looking for a loophole in it. Amen? Am I the only one that ever does that? Well, the, Lord's, the Word says this, but it doesn't specifically say this. So, might have found a loophole. Guys, when we understand it's God's prescription to live a life that's going to be blessed and abundant, we won't look for loopholes. Instead, we'll try to walk right in the center of it. Amen? Walk in the center of His will. Be obedient to His Word. If we carefully attend to, guard, and faithfully obey God's authoritative prescription for life, this is how we know that we know Him. True salvation will always result in changed behavior. Guys, the Holy Spirit cannot and will not dwell within you without having an impact on you. Amen? Guys, if you've been walking with God and your life hasn't changed, or you say you've been a Christian and your life hasn't changed, let me tell you right now, you are not a Christian. Pastor Dave, man, that wasn't right. That wasn't fair. You know, I've said this many times to people, and I say it in love, but I believe that you absolutely can say it, and I believe we absolutely should say it. If you look at somebody's life, and it doesn't come anywhere close to matching what the Word of God says a Christian is, I think it's fair to ask, bro, are you saved? Sister, do you know God? Have you been born again? I've asked those questions to my own kids. I've asked, people, I've asked people I love. You know why? Because that question needs to be asked. Because you know what? By your fruit they shall know you. And let me just tell you right now, there's no evidence because we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. If we really know Him, the way we view sin is going to change. If we really know Him, we're going to be different people. We're not going to make excuses for our sin, but we're going to be grieved by it. The Holy Spirit is God dwelling in you. Okay, let me make something real clear. You're not God. Amen? But God dwells in you. Don't go out standing by some tree and, oh, God, stop it. You're not God. But God dwells in you. So that means every thought you have, God's there. Every place you go, God's with you. And he knew you were going before you went. Amen? And do you know that because he loves you, he's trying to stop you along the way? He's putting up stop signs to keep you from sin. He loves you. He's a wonderful God. Don't view God as someone who's trying to steal your fun, but see him as your loving heavenly father who wants to keep you from harm and again give you life and life more abundant. You know what? We show our love for him by obeying him. He showed his love towards us in addition to the cross of Calvary, by giving us the commandments. His commandments to us are an act of love. Have you ever thought about that? 
He wrote it down because he says, look, I love you, and I know if you commit adultery, it will bring harm. I know that if you lie, I know if you, it's going to separate you from me. I know if you sin, I know these things are going to harm you. They're going to harm your family. They're going to destroy your, your character and your reputation. They're going to destroy your testimony. I write these to you because I love you. Too often people look at the Bible and they think it's you know, just a big rule book to keep me from having fun. I've had people tell me, I'm not going to read the Bible because the more I read, the more accountable I am. Had someone tell me that. I go, dude, if you're speeding down the road and you don't know what the, what the speed limit is and they pull you over, do you get a ticket anyway? Guys, if you don't read the word, you're accountable anyway, amen? So you might as well read and get God's directions for life, amen? The Holy Spirit will not be silent toward your sin. He will bring heavy conviction. So here's the key. When you were born again, the Holy Spirit went from being with you. The world calls them their conscience, right? Bible talks about the Holy Spirit in three ways. I know a lot of you have been here a long time have heard this many times. You can hear it again. He's with us prior to salvation. That's why the world would say, I have a conscience, right? The world doesn't choose between right and wrong, amen? Their thoughts are always perverse and wicked above all things. Any knowledge of right and wrong only comes from God, amen? So even though the world knows any right and wrong, it's the Holy Spirit outside of them with them bringing you know, conviction of right and wrong. But guys, when we were born again, he goes from being with us to in us. Now he's no longer out here, he's in here. And he convicts us along the way. And so what I would like to say to you this morning is if you sin and you feel no conviction, there is no Holy Spirit inside of you, and that means you need to be born again. Amen? Doesn't matter how many times you've gone to church, doesn't matter how many times you've read through the Bible, it doesn't matter. If there's no Holy Spirit, there's been no salvation. If there's no conviction, there's been no conversion. Amen? Aren't you glad God convicts you? Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Because if he didn't convict me, I have no idea where I would be. How about you? Amen? He loves us enough to give us the Holy Spirit head slap and bring us back where we need to be. No conviction, no change of heart, no evidence of a changed life, not living a life marked by obedience. One's claim of conversion can be fairly challenged. No conviction over sin, no hunger to know God's word and obey it. I'd have to question this morning, where are you at with the Lord? Again, you're sitting here today saying, hey, you know, I go to church and I prayed a prayer some years back and, you know, I believe in God. And guys, it's not do you believe in God. I'll say it again. Are you walking in intimate fellowship with him? Is he your best friend? Do you spend 24 hours a day, seven days a week with him? When you wake up in the morning, is he the first thought on your mind? And when you go to bed at night, is he the last thing you think about? Every time you make a decision, is the Holy Spirit ministering to you and giving you direction? Guys, that's what it means to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, not someone who checks in with him once a week. He's not our parole officer. He's our Savior and our Lord. Amen? We don't run by and get his approval when we need help. We need to be walking with him every step of the way. Amen? The exhortation here again is we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. If you do not keep his commandments and you do not have conviction when you sin, can I encourage you, you need to be born again. Titus 1 says this, They profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, 
and disqualified for every good work. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says this, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Guys, true salvation will produce a changed life every single time. Amen? I love that song by Stephen Curtis Chapman, What About the Change? Ever heard that song? It talks about a guy having a Christian bumper sticker and an outline of a fish on his car and a big, huge Bible. And then he says, but what about the change? Where's the transformation? Where have you become different? Salvation results in a transformed life. A life of convictionless disobedience should cause us to examine our hearts and question our salvation. If we truly love him, it will show. Once again, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus Christ said that. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. A changed life, a heart convicted by sin, a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit serves not only as a testimony to the lost, but a source of assurance to the believer. Guys, next time you're convicted, say thank you, Lord, because it's a reminder that you're His. The Holy Spirit is a down payment on heaven. And when He shows up, you know, and busts you, when nobody else gets caught, it's because He loves you that much. Amen? I've told you my kids say all the time, man, my friends never get caught. I get caught every time. I say, because your dad prays a lot. And that just means he loves you a lot. Amen? Getting caught's a good thing. You know why? It gets us back on track with the Lord. And Lord, whatever it takes, that's what we need. Salvation, redemption, a heavenly inheritance are promised to all who truly repent and believe. But the key is all who truly believe. If you believe, you're going to live different. And you're going to reflect the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life. Guys, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean there won't be struggles between the Spirit and the flesh. Don't we do that? You know, Paul, the Apostle Paul, right? Mighty man of God. What did he say? And he started off by the least of the apostles, and by the time he was done, he was calling himself the chief of sinners. The more you fall in love with the Lord, the more you realize what a sinner you are and how desperately you need him. Amen? He also said this, the things I know to do and that are good to do, I don't do those. The things I struggle with, I know not to do that, I do. So I want to say this, I'm not saying, oh, if I'm a Christian, I should never blow it. I should never sin. No, you will sin, but how you respond to sin is a reflection of whether or not you've truly been saved. Amen? Someone who's not saved, when they sin, so what? When you sin, you make excuses. When you sin, you're not convicted. Somebody has to point it out to you because you're not even aware of it. But guys, if we've been born again, so often the words aren't even out of our mouth yet and the Holy Spirit's bringing conviction. That's a sign that you belong to Him. Amen? That's a good thing and praise God for it. There's going to be a change if we've truly been saved. Verse 4. So, verse 3. By this we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. If we know Him, we'll obey Him. Understand that obedience is a form of worship and the way that we show the Lord that we love Him. Now he says this. And I want you to focus on two words in this verse. He who says, I know Him, and does not keep His commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. He says, but he doesn't do it. He says he believes it, but his actions don't show it. So here's what he says. He who says, I know him, 
and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. This exposes the self-deception of many who claim to be saved. They say one thing, but they do another. The real proof of your salvation is not what you say, but how you live. Salvation is not proven in words, but it's proven in actions. Are we to praise the Lord with our mouth? Of course. Do we bless Him and praise Him and worship Him? Absolutely. Do we tell others about Him? Without question. But guys, you can do all, even all of that. But if your life is one filled with disobedience and with uh, convictionless sin, then you need to be born again. You know, it's interesting. The Word of God very clearly says, you know, many will come, you know, and say, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We did all these things in your name. What does he say? Depart from me, for I don't even know you. Guys, it's not what we say, it's how we live. The real proof of salvation is not in our words, but in our actions. So remember, the Gnostics made great claims of having secret or deeper deeper truth, sounded really spiritual, but again, all you needed to do was look at their actions to find out that everything they said was a lie. Can I tell you something? I would much rather watch somebody for a length of time before putting them into a position of a ministry in the church than just listen to what they have to say. People can lie. People can come off really good. But if you watch someone over time, you're going to find out the truth. Key is don't just believe words, but look at actions. It's not words, but actions that count. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Not everybody who cries out, Lord, Lord, is going to heaven. It's more than confessing with your mouth. If you truly mean it, it will be made evident in the change of your behavior. If there's been no change, there's been no salvation. If there's no conviction, there's been no conversion. I found this anonymous quote. It says, it's not what we eat, but what we would digest that makes us strong. It's not what we gain, but what we save that makes us rich. It's not what we read, but what we remember that makes us learned. And it's not what we profess, but what we practice that makes us Christians. Guys, we need to be living it, not just talking about it. So he who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, the Greek there says this. He who is saying, it's in this tense, he who is saying, I have known and I continue to know him, but continues not to walk in the truth. Continue, I know him, really, I know him. And they just keep living a life that's contrary to what they're professing. Those people, he says, are liars. So who was doing that? The Gnostics. The Gnostics all said, not only do we know him, but we know him way better than you do. We've got some special secrets that you've got to come to us to get. And we'll be passing around an offering later so you get to hear my special truths, right? These guys had false motives. And the way that we knew, the way that they should have known that what they were teaching was a lie, by looking at their behavior. They would claim to have special truth from God, and yet they were living some of the most ungodly lives of anybody on the planet. They were so far away from the word and the will of God. This is why when we see those who are exposed for ungodly lifestyles, and then people still flock to them to heed their counsel, I would say, don't do that. Let that brother or sister go be restored to the Lord, amen? Watch behavior. 
A person who claims to know God but lives a life in direct op- opposition to his word is what he's talking here. He says, is a liar and the truth is not in him. In direct contradiction, again, the false teaching of the Gnostics was as long as you believe, it didn't matter how you lived. They separated belief from behavior, and this verse clearly refutes that. You cannot believe one way and live another. You can't be saved based only on, your be- on the, what you believe, but it must also match up with your behavior. John makes a direct response to these claims that you can live a different way. The word liar is one who breaks faith. I like that. One who breaks faith, a liar. One who lives contrary to the faith that he has proclaimed. And the truth is not in him. You know, I like that. The truth is not in him. Who's the truth? Jesus Christ. One who says he lives, believes, but lives another way. The truth is not in him. Jesus Christ is not taking up residence within that man or woman. Amen? So if you're here this morning, and you've walked an aisle, and you've prayed a prayer... I pray that again, you'd go beyond knowing about him to having intimate fellowship with him. Can I say this? Here's what salvation is. It's not squeezing God into your life. It's not you taking the life that you've been living and there's been something missing. So let me try to fit God in there. There's a bumper sticker that says, give God a chance. I don't like that. We don't give God a chance. We surrender our lives completely to Him. Amen? We don't give Him a piece. We don't give Him a portion. We don't try Him on for a week. We die to ourselves. We lay our lives at His feet. We get off the throne of our lives and we put Him there and we surrender that place to Him for the rest of our lives. That's Christianity. Amen? That's what it means to follow after the Lord. It's the full surrender of your life, your heart, and your will to him, giving him his rightful place. Again, got to move past knowing about him to having intimate fellowship with him. So, he who says I know him and doesn't keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. So do you know him? True Christian faith is far more than knowing about him. If we truly know him, we will obey him. And let me make this very clear. It doesn't mean you'll be sinless. But it means your heart, your desire, your passion will be to walk in the center of God's will. And when you blow it, you'll be convicted. He'll drive you to your knees to get back into a right relationship with the Lord. Amen? That's exactly the picture of Christianity. Not someone who, again, made some confession and is now holding on to it. Often I'll do a funeral. I've done many. I don't know how many. But I've done many funerals and memorial services. And you know, it's amazing to me. I have yet to do a service for somebody whose family didn't say that they were a Christian. Every, every single funeral I've ever done, they say they're a Christian. But I know that's just not the case. Praise God, most of them were. But you know what? What happens is they'll say, yeah, well, you know, he died of a drug overdose. And, you know, the last 15 years he was in and out of prison. And, uh, you know, he... He committed adultery a bunch of times, and he abandoned his family, and, you know, he was one of the foulest people he ever met, but I still remember that time when he was nine years old at camp, and he went forward and got baptized. So he's a Christian. Uh, Not so much. Amen? Guys, it's not this momentary confession. You know, the Bible says we're adopted into his family. 
If you're adopted into his family, he goes home with you. Amen? It's not this surface, let me keep him at a distance, and when I need you on judgment day, come on down and show up. But until then, I'm living over here. No, that's not what happens. I surrender all. I put him on the throne, and I serve him and him alone. Well, not only do we obey him, but we abide in him. Look at verse 5. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. In direct contrast to verse 4, those who walk in disobedience don't really know him, but those who walk in faithful obedience to his word, not only does it show that they know God, but it reveals their deep love for God. Because it says there, Whoever keeps his word, the love of God. You could also translate that in the original language, the love for God. How do we know you have love for God? You obey him. Parents, would you agree with this? Don't you, doesn't it bless you when your kids just obey you because they love you? And we're imperfect parents and we're not always right. But God's heart is that we would simply obey him. It's not just the love of God, it's a love for God that is perfected. The word perfected there is accomplished. So our love for God is accomplished in Him. How? By keeping His Word. Our our obedience is a reflection not only of our knowing God, but our deep love for Him. Again, John 14, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It also says later in John 14, He who has my commandments and keeps them is one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Disobedience is love of self. Obedience is love of God. Why do we disobey? Because we think we know better than God. Why do we disobey? Because we think having that immediate physical pleasure or having that thing that we want is more important than walking in the center of God's will. So obedience is love of God and disobedience is love of self. Isn't self the motivation for every sin we commit? It all begins with pride, doesn't it? It all begins with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. It's always about what's in it for me. Why do we lie? To protect our reputation. To get out from under, you know, a bad situation. I'll just tell a quick lie, it's no big deal. I have to confess to you, this last two weeks, it's been a heavy temptation, I haven't done it, praise God, but I could fix a major problem by telling a lie. Major problem. That's going to have repercussions for the next two years if I would just simply tell somebody something that's not true, which sadly is what some other people in my same circumstances have done, and guess what? The problem's gone away. And I've had people say to me, well, you know, just, you don't have to lie, but just skirt around the truth. That's, no, that's a lie. And the situation has to do with my boys and where they're going to go to school, all kinds of stuff. But here's the thing. Part of what I need to teach them as a dad is we're going to tell the truth no matter what the consequences. Because it's not about making it easy for us. It's about honoring and obeying God and trusting that as we obey him, he's going to work it out perfectly the way he wants it to be. Amen? And again, I don't want to make myself the hero of every story because I blow it all the time. My wife's in the back, blonde. You can ask her. She'll tell you. Just this week. Let me tell you. So I'm not the... But the point is, 
that can I encourage you that as the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes, disobedience, remember, is love of self, but when we obey, it's love for God. May we love God more than we love ourselves. Seek first his kingdom. Don't put anything in front of him. Don't put yourself above him. Love of God is placing his will above our own. Our obedience to his word expresses our love for him. An accomplished, perfected, mature love for God shows itself in obedience to his word. Because it says there again, our love for God is accomplished or perfected in him. How? By keeping his word. And then it says, by this we know that we are in him. How do we know we're in him? By obeying him. How do you know someone's life has truly been, how do you know someone's truly been born again? Everything about them changes. There are people in this room that have been saved in the last six months. And you know what? It's obvious. I remember when you walked up and when you prayed the prayer and when you gave your life to the Lord, and usually true salvation comes with weeping. Amen? Not, oh yeah, that sounds like a good idea. That, you know, hell sounds kind of bad. If that's really true, I'd rather not have that. So I'll just cover my bases. No, true salvation is the realization of who we are, how desperate we are, how desperately we need him to come to the understanding of how incredibly much he loves us and to be blown away by the fact that he would love me enough to suffer and die in my place that I might have eternal life and to come broken before him and say, Lord, I just give it all to you because I've tried it my own way and it's not working. Lord, my life is yours. And when you do that, it's obvious. As my dad would say, that's someone who got saved real good because you see the dramatic change in their lives. By this we know that we are in him. We know him, we love him, we're abiding in him. Lord, not only the object of our love, but he's the source of it. In John 15, it says, he is the vine and we are the branches. See, we're to obey him, but guys, the reason we can obey him is that his spirit dwells within us, giving us the ability to obey, amen? How can we obey outwardly? By pressing in to him. You know what? We hold on to him and he nourishes us. He's the vine. And as we're grafted into him, we bear much fruit. But guys, if we pull ourselves out of the vine, if you pull a branch out of a vine, you know what you got? A dead stick, right? And the Bible tells us it's good for nothing then but to gather up and to be what? Thrown where? Into the fire, Boy, this is a picture of heaven and hell. Guys, if you're not grafted into Jesus, your life's not going to bear fruit, and your eternity is hellfire. Oh, Pastor Dave, that's not seeker sensitive. You know what? I'm far more concerned about where you spend eternity than how popular I am with you right now. I'm far more burdened by the fact that so many people can walk, you know, be sleepwalking through this life thinking that they're saved and on their way to hell without Jesus Christ. We come to this text this morning not by chance, and I believe absolutely there are people in this room this morning that the Holy Spirit has been speaking to all week in preparation for this moment. Guys, today's the day of salvation. Let's not be satisfied with knowing about God. Let's really come to know Him and surrender our lives completely to Him. Amen? And then finally, he says this, he who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Wow. Is that heavy or what? No pressure there. If you really love God, then just be like Jesus. Oh, what? 
Can't I just be better than some people I know? You know, that's kind of how we grade, isn't it? You've heard me say before, we grade on the curve, but he grades at the cross, amen? Oh, yeah, I'm better than most, you know. I look around the room and see a few people look kind of shady in here. I'm better than some of them, right? And that's what happens. But you know what? Our standard is Jesus Christ. And he's the one we follow, and he's the one we seek to imitate, and he's the one we want to, you know, have the world see him in us. You've heard it said before, you're the only Jesus that some people are ever going to see. When you show up at work, there are going to be people that will never come to church. And when you walk in the door, the spirit of the living God dwells inside of you. And just like when David showed up and the whole camp was trembling, you know, I said when I taught that message that when David showed up, he saw Goliath for who he was. The rest of the people saw 11 foot 750 and they were shaking in their boots. David walked up and said, who's this uncircumcised Philistine that comes against my God? You know what the difference was? David, when David showed up, the Holy Spirit showed up. And when the Holy Spirit showed up, he saw things from a a godly perspective. It wasn't a man against a smaller man. It was a small man against Almighty God. And guys, when you show up at work, the Holy Spirit shows up. I've I've told you that it's interesting. I have a guy that's told me at least 10 times, we need to keep the work environment secular. And I keep telling him, it won't happen as long as I work here. Why? Because guys, when we show up, the Holy Spirit isn't waiting outside. Amen? And you are Christians first before you're anything else. And when you show up, you're bringing the Holy Spirit into your workplace. You're bringing the truth of the gospel into your workplace. And you know what? You're there by divine appointment. And guess what? As I've said to this guy several times, when you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one that barks the loudest is usually the one you hit. So the guy that's the most convicted when you talk about Jesus, he's usually the one, the guy that's making the biggest noise, the one that's most convicted. And you know what? I believe that guy's going to get saved. And I'm going to keep praying for him. He gets mad when I tell you guys to pray for him. So his name's Mark. Pray for him. Okay? I told him, I'm going to tell him again. Oh, don't do that, don't do that. I go, why do you care? If you don't believe there's a God, why do you care? Well, I don't believe there's a God, so then why do you care if we pray? Well, I don't like it that people pray for me. Well, we're going to pray. Amen? We keep praying. Pray for Mark. Let me say this. We're almost done. I've heard it said that being a Christian is hard. You ever heard that before? You know what? Being an unbeliever is hard. The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. Amen? Guys, there's nothing as far as hard being a Christian compared to being an unbeliever. Yeah, do we go through trials? Yes. We go through difficulties. Might we be persecuted for our faith? All true. But guys, one day in prison for Jesus Christ is better than a lifetime in a mansion without him. Amen? Do you remember the story of Daniel in the lion's den? Daniel is in the lion's den, and what's he doing? Who remembers? What's he doing in the lion's den? sleeping. And what is King Darius doing up in the palace? He's tormented all night long. Why? Because it's better to be in the lion's den with the Lord than in the palace without him. Amen? The point is this. Life is hard if you don't know Jesus Christ. Life is hard if you've not been born again. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how much stuff you have. You know, the richer a person is, the more likely they are to commit suicide. Why? Because you think that the riches are going to satisfy, and when they don't, you're looking for another answer. The way of the transgressor is hard. Living a flesh-driven life of disobedience is hard. See, this is what the Gnostics were saying. Look, come and live a flesh-driven life. It's going to be fun. 
The Bible says sin is pleasurable for a season, but in the end it leads to death. Amen? How many could testify that? It was fun for a minute. Right? It was really fun until I got pulled over. It was really fun until I got in trouble. It was really fun until I lost my job or I broke up my marriage or I lost everything that I had. Sin is pleasurable for a season. But here's the thing. As we mature spiritually, the way we look at sin will change. As we're abiding in the Lord, we ought to walk as the Lord walked. And the Lord viewed sin in a certain way. And as we walk with the Lord, we'll begin to view sin the same way. Let me say this. When one becomes a Christian, there's a change in their relationship with sin. It's not eliminated from your life until we get to heaven, but your relationship to sin is changed and you truly, when you truly become a Christian. First of all, a Christian no longer loves sin like he used to. Is that true or not? You used to love it, and now you go, oh yeah, not so much. Don't like that. I did it. It was pleasurable for a minute. Not good. A Christian no longer brags about their sin as they once did. Remember you used to brag about your sin? You ought to see the girl I met in the bar or whatever. Right? You ought to see the thing I got over on that guy. Man, I, I cheated that guy in that business deal. Right? People have that kind of concept. Yeah, I'm working under the table. Nobody knows. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. You used to brag about your sin. You don't do that once you've been born again. A Christian no longer plans to sin like he used to. A Christian no longer fondly remembers his sin as he once did. You don't look back at your old life and go, oh yeah, those were the good old days. You look back and say, oh Lord, I wish I'd been saved sooner. Amen? I can't believe I lived a life like that. A Christian never fully enjoys his sin anymore. A Christian no longer is comfortable in habitual sin the way he was. A Christian no longer loves sin. It's the object of his most stern horror. He no longer regards it as merely a trifle thing. He no longer wants to play with it or talk of it with unconcern. Instead, what happens is he is broken by it. If you're here this morning and your sin doesn't bother you, you need to get right with Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and there's a sin you've been hanging on to and you've been trying to act like it's no big deal, it's time to get right with the Lord this morning. Amen? I came in out of the rain for this? Every commandment of God is an expression of his love for us. The more we obey, the more we experience the depths of his love. The more we love God, the more we're going to hate sin. Amen? The more you love God, the more you're going to hate sin. And the more that you press in, the more that you abide in him, if you truly know him, we will not only keep his commands, but we will reflect his character. How is that possible in closing? How can I be the moon? I love that shirt, be the moon. What does the moon do? Reflects the sun, right? When you have a full moon, what do you have? You have the sun shining on the moon and reflecting a bright light. Guys, we're called to be the moon. We don't reflect the S-U-N, we reflect the S-O-N, amen? And God's called us to shine brightly. God's called us to abide in him and to shine to the world around us, to reflect his character. And all of us would say, that's overwhelming, I can't do it. You know what, you're right. Without him, you can do nothing, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? If he calls you to do it, he'll equip you to do it. The only way that you can reflect his character is when you surrender your life completely to him. Do you know him this morning? Are you abiding in him? It's only possible 
if you allow him to do a work in you and through you, that you can truly reflect him in a way that's going to bring others to him. To you, to him. Listen, I'll, last thing I want to say is that word abide there, it's not a temporary superficial attachment, but a deep and permanent connection. And one of the definitions I love that just really gripped me, it means to make yourself at home. Have you made yourself at home with Jesus? You know, I thought about the rain last night. It was cold. You know, and our relationship with the Lord ought to be like we're coming in to his house. We're sitting by the fire and we're just crawling up into his lap and enjoying intimate fellowship with him. That's abiding. Amen. Are you abiding in him? Do you have that kind of relationship with the Lord? It's only as we cling to him that our faith becomes firmly established. We won't be so easily moved by false doctrine or difficult circumstances. We will be able to walk just as he walked. Not better than most, not trying to do my best, not being like the Gnostics who ignore this as even being something we need to worry about, not a flesh-driven godless behavior, but a desire to imitate the Lord that the world around us might want to know the Savior that has transformed our lives. As you abide in Him, you're going to become more like Him. Can I encourage you as we go to prayer? We should be more like Jesus today than we were last week. Amen? And my prayer is that next week we'll be more like Jesus than we are today. Abiding in Him is hanging on to Him, surrendering to Him, becoming more like Him, starting to walk like He walks. And when we stepped outside of that, that He brings conviction and draws us back into the center of His will. Guys, we are living, Pastor Dave's opinion, we are living in the last days and it's time for us to stop being lukewarm about our faith and to start glowing in the dark for Jesus Christ. Amen? Lord, help us. And if you're here this morning and you don't know him that way, there's been no conviction, there's been no conversion. If sin's not a big deal to you, you need to really come to know the Savior because it's a big deal to him. Big enough that he sent his son to die that you might have eternal life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your love and your grace and your infinite mercy. We thank you, Lord, that though we've been emphasizing our response and our behavior. We know, Lord, that our obedience is impossible apart from the empowering work of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, that he was with us, but now he's in us, and Lord, that he might be upon us, that we might be baptized, filled afresh to overflowing with your Holy Spirit, that, Lord, we would walk in the center of your will. Lord, help us to see the world through your eyes. Lord, help us to reflect your character in the way that we live. Lord, I pray for anybody here this morning, maybe maybe been going to church for years, or maybe today's their first time here, may have thought they knew you before today, but they've only known about you. Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. If that's your heart this morning, every Christian just be praying. If your desire to know for sure that you're going to heaven, It has to go beyond just this prayer, but a change of your behavior. You laying down your life for him. If it's your desire to say, Lord, I give you my life completely. I want to move from knowing about you to walking in intimate fellowship with you. If that's your desire, I want you to raise your hand right where you are right now. Anybody at all. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? Lord loves you guys. He knew you'd be here this morning. Go beyond just knowing about and having intimate fellowship with him. Anybody else?
Heavenly Father, I thank you for these many who have raised their hand this morning. Father, I pray this would not be a momentary confession, but a lifetime transformation. Lord, I pray for each of them that right now where they sit, they would openly confess their sin. They would ask you to come into their lives and be their Savior. But Lord, more than Savior, their Lord. They would surrender their lives completely to you. Lord, I pray that from this day forward, you would fill them to overflowing with your Holy Spirit, giving them the strength to walk in the center of your will. And Lord, when they blow it, may you convict them by your Spirit to draw them back into a right relationship with you. Lord, that's my prayer for everyone in the room this morning. Lord, as we step outside of your will, may your Holy Spirit draw us back into right fellowship. Lord, may we not be satisfied being on the edge of your will. But Lord, our desire would be that we'd walk in the center of it. Help us, Lord. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. You are a great and an awesome God. Lord, may we never overemphasize our response and have it overshadow your grace. Lord, it's your grace that saves us. It's not our works. It's your great grace. But Lord, as you hold out the gift of salvation, May we respond. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand up and worship the Lord. If you raise your hand this morning, I want you to, again, if you can't do it this morning, you're not going to do it when you leave. When the pastors are up here afterward, I want you to come on up, share with one one of the pastors that you you raise your hand today. You want to make sure, you know, that you have a right relationship with God. Don't walk out here without doing that, okay? All right, let's, let's stand and worship the Lord.